HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Bon Bon, a neighborhood bistro in Lawrence, Kansas, bringing Midwest flavors to international cuisine. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, where a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm really thankful for listeners like you, and I would love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. Today's episode 133 of Feast Your Ears. It's a warm, early February day here in New York City, and for today at least, it feels like spring is around the corner. Today's theme, have you ever met a wizard? When I think of wizards, I think of Dungeons and Dragons, of Gandalf, magic, white hair, pointy hats, long robes. They're the living gods among men in the fantasy realm, showing up when the hero needs a little encouragement. A wizard is wise and imparts that wisdom to his acolytes. Yoda is the wizard who teaches Luke about the Force, but he doesn't do anything other than awaken in him the strength he already has. Who are our wizards in 2019? In an era when organized religion seems to be on the wane, and we're after ever greater efficiency in our lives and our work, do we need a wizard? When I sat down to think about this question, the answer I came up with is yes, of course we do. And I think they come in many forms. It's about awakening in yourself a new idea or helping to change your course just a little bit based on a conversation or a book or an event in your life. The world moves at a breakneck pace, and we can get so caught up in the trying to keep up that we can't stop and reflect. This is what a wizard can help us do. What would you ask a wizard if you encountered one? My daughter would ask to be turned into a fairy. My guest today is a wizard. Devin Person is a wizard. For real. He's not joking. He lives in Brooklyn and performs rituals from weddings to incantations. I recently sat down with Devin to talk about what it is to be a wizard and how he became one. He even looks like a wizard, too. The story's pretty amazing, so keep listening. Thanks, Devin, for inviting me over to your beautiful apartment in Greenpoint. Absolutely. Uh, the wizard's wizard's lawyer welcomes you. <laughs> Speaking today. Uh, it's very green in here. Uh, do wizards often have a green thumb? 
Um, I'm learning to have a green thumb. I think that's a good skill to have, and I think uh, it's something that I'm hopeful to do more of, but uh, I did take a shortcut by falling in love with someone who had a great apartment with a lot of plants in it. Aha, so. that's, a good, that's a good route to yeah. uh, having nice plants in your apartment. Yeah, I aspire to have nice plants in my apartment, but I keep my children alive, and that's about as far as I get There you go. at this point. Um, so, taking a step back, uh, we met because you were interested in fermentation and contacted mm-hmm. me for some vinegar mother, and we started talking, and you told me you were a wizard. That's true. So, what does that mean in 2019 to be a wizard? That's a question that I ask myself all the time, and I think of this project more as figuring out what the answers are rather than having an answer and then setting forth from that. But I think uh, the historical and fantasy version of a wizard is the idea of wisdom. That's where the term, you know, wizened wizard, you know, that's where it comes from. And there are people who have been through things before you, and then they can see things in a way that you can't. You know, like, if you're in a kitchen, someone who's been cooking for 40 years is going to be able to say, hold on, give me the knife, let me show you a way to do this, because I've been in your shoes and I've experienced that. Now, I'm still young, so I'm not saying that I've got all that life experience, but I think a wizard can help other people by being this force of guidance and inspiration and even sort of playfulness. Um, In a lot of the movies, you know, Harry Potter is a great example of the wizard mythology. Harry is constantly coming to Dumbledore with problems, with issues, when he's stuck trying to, you know, solve the case of that particular book. And Dumbledore doesn't go, oh, let me go solve this for you. He's always giving him a gift or a little bit of a riddle or some sort of piece that Harry then figures out on his own. Sure. And so for me, I think that's uh, an idea that I've been fascinated in. And I want to help other people um, from as genuine of a place as I possibly can. And I think in this modern world where we're all craving meaning and sort of detached from our traditional sources of it, uh, encountering a wizard, and even if it's just a small conversation, even if it's just a, a, a quick joke, that becomes a moment in that person's life story. Absolutely. And then there, you know, could be at a party seven years from now saying, you know what, there I was in New York, and then I met this wizard, and we talked about it, and that's when I decided to do this. And that creates this story beat for them that they can balance things off. The same way that it's going to be so much harder to quit smoking if it's just the middle of the week and you go, all right, that's it, I'm done quitting smoking. And you've said that a million times, there's nothing special, versus if you're hitting like a big anniversary and you have some new reason that is like... And this is the moment, you know, my, my child was born and right. I have quit smoking and yep. now I'm done with it. And that fits into your narrative as a nice, um, it's very interesting that you use that. I quit smoking on mm-hmm. January 2nd ish, 2000 mm-hmm. after throwing a huge bender of a party yeah. for the millennium that lasted, started before and lasted after the new year. But when I woke up in the morning on I think the second, yeah. Uh, in my apartment, which was a huge mess, yeah. and I started cleaning up. I was out of cigarettes. I was like a pack-a-day smoker at that point. And in cleaning the apartment, I found a nicotine patch Yeah. and put it on my arm, and that was it. I haven't had a cigarette since. There you go. And totally, I think if that had just been like a random Thursday, yeah. I would not have ended up actually quitting smoking. Yeah, we're story-based beings. I mean, that's we live our lives according to the way that our memories edit the stories together. And so having a nice, juicy 
anecdote is a great hook to yeah. um, add other things onto. Totally. You say on your website, if you're still not sure how seriously <coughs> to take this, then you're in the perfect frame of mind to work with Wizard. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Kevin Marr, uh, once told me that watching audiences encounter me, they come in nervous and they're like, is this guy, is this guy taking this seriously? Right. Is this, is this a lunatic? Like, what are we in for? Is it LARPing? Is it LARPing? <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not sure. Is this like too woo woo? Is someone going to try and sell us on a yoga retreat? Like what's happening? And then they realize that I'm making jokes about it, that I'm right. approaching it with humor and they go, Oh, okay, cool. It's a joke. We can relax. And their guard goes down, and then they listen to what I'm saying, and then I get to something that's actually serious and meaningful, and then they go, wait, this is serious. (laughs) And then it kind of, they just continue to ping pong between those two poles, and I think that's very important. I think if you go into, you know, the back of a New Age bookstore, and some guy with a ponytail is just lecturing you about Atlantis and Guardian Angels and all of these (laughs) things, it's like... Whoa, 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 you know, that's okay for some people, but not everyone likes to get on board that. And when we can joke about these things, we can acknowledge, you know, this is silly. It's a part of our culture. Right. What do guardian angels mean to us, actually? Like, is there an idea there there that, that has value and we can detach it from... You know, there's literally an angel that lives inside this piece of quartz crystal. But we could say, oh, maybe I can actually use this piece of quartz crystal to create routines that are soothing for me. And that is a nice image that then changes my life in meaningful ways. Sure. I mean, walking over here, it's Sunday in Brooklyn. uh, And, you know, known as the city of churches for good reason. Mm -hmm. Greenpoint is a great place to walk past churches. I was struck by thinking about... The fact that, you know, people go to religious services, but that has in in recent years fallen off quite a bit in this country. And, you know, for a lot of the same reasons, I think that somebody might want to talk with someone who's a wizard, Mm -hmm. right? You're going there to hear someone's thoughts, someone's opinions. You might seek help from your religious leader um, in times of difficulty in your life or in times of celebration, whatever that is. And so it's interesting to think of the idea that perhaps maybe we need more wizards, because people aren't following sort of organized religion of the past. Right, yeah. I mean, religion has definitely changed and I think calcified in a lot of ways. Uh, That when you have stories that you say, this story is so holy we can't retell it, then the story can no longer adapt. And so someone today is like, I don't know what a Pharisee is. That doesn't resonate (laughs) with me at all. And so whatever the heart of the the myth of Jesus Christ is, which there's a lot of yeah. rich symbolic stuff there, just gets stuck in an outdated form and you don't break it up and reinvigorate until that soil and let it grow in new ways. Whereas if you compare that to a more contemporary myth like Spider-Man, Spider-Man has been retold so many times since the 1960s when Stanley put out issue one of Amazing Spider-Man. And in fact, the most recent Spider-Man movie is about how many times Spider-Man has been retold right. and all of the different incarnations and how Spider-Man can be Peter Parker or Gwen Stacy or a Puerto Rican kid from the Bronx and the spirit of Spider-Man is within all of them. And My son was wearing his Spider-Man costume yesterday. <coughs> He's also Spider-Man. It's an active myth. It's a story that you can connect to, and there are things that are resident, and they continue to be alive 
And I think that's the balance that we need to have is that if something is totally calcified and desiccated, then you're going and you're going through the rites and rituals and routines, but there's no beating heart there and you're not getting the juice that you're after. Whereas if you go to something super modern, like a performance art show, there'll be a thing on the wall that tells you what it means, but then you'll watch someone smash eggs over their head and you're like, okay, like this... (laughs) This is so chaotic. This doesn't connect to my childhood. It doesn't connect to any of my own routines. This is a one-off event. I can't come do this all the time. And so I think wizardry is trying to exist between those poles of saying we don't have to follow the dogma that is no longer serving us, but we can also find things that are a little bit more uh, structurally sound and breathe new life into those. We live in a world of pop culture, of stories that are just surrounding us all the time. Those have meaning. Those have value. I think we can find uh, just as much probably in the Harry Potter books as we can um, in the Bible. Yeah. So how did you decide to be or become a wizard? I mean, did you wake up one morning and you were like, oh, this is this is part of something I'm going to do now, or did it grow over time? How did it come about? It definitely grew over time, but my own realization was something that grew at a different pace. So I got into magic when I was 18, and I read an interview with the Scottish comic book writer Grant Morrison, where he was talking about magic as a metaphor in ways. Like, you know, if you're going to do a magic ritual... If you don't see a pit of fire open before you and a demon crawl out and start breaking stuff in your room, that doesn't mean you failed. Right. Maybe you're going to see it in your imagination, and that's where those things happen, and that's okay. And maybe that demon is externally, objectively real, or maybe it's a part of your unconscious that you can interact with by representing it as such. And that blew my mind. And so from that point on, I was very interested in magical practices. I'd already been interested in religion and studying all the different kinds of religion. And throughout my 20s, I sort of got the message pretty quick that if this is all made up, which is fine, I'm not, that's not an insult, but if somebody made something up in the 1500s or they made it up in the 1500s based on a book that they had from the 1200s and so on and so forth, then I can make this up myself now. Right. And I can go find inspiration, but I don't need to slave over other people's books and see, you know, which candle on which night do I'm, am I supposed to light? And instead, I could use the inspiration in my own world. And that was a big part of who I was, but it was private. It was something that I did by myself to aim towards certain goals or break bad habits or um, celebrate life transitions, all of that. Um, I got a wizard tattoo on my arm when I turned 24 that says, I believe in you, your magic is real. And so I definitely, you know, the wizard thing was there. But then when I got ready to move from Austin, Texas to New York, and that would have been about five and a half years ago, um, for my birthday, I asked all my friends to do a mandatory gift of drawing their own version of my wizard tattoo. And so I got a bunch of like 20 plus friends all drew their own different versions. Some were amazing, some were a little bit more stick figure but they all drew these wizards. And I thought, okay... This is a nice, concrete representation of my friend's love and support and well wishes. I'm going to use this to do a magic ritual to help myself move to New York and have things work out. 
And I got to New York and I came here for a writing program, um, like a graduate television writing program. And within one semester, I realized that this was total polarity, that it was not going to help me get a job. It was going to cost a lot of money. And even if the program could follow through on its promise of helping me get a job, it would be impossible for me to take that first job as a writer's assistant because I would now be in debt, yeah. massively in debt. Right. And so it was like, this is not going to work. So I abandoned that path and was doing improv classes and just trying to, you know, all right, I'll, I'll make it on my own as a writer in New York. But I realized within a few months that I was missing a very crucial ingredient. I was not writing. I was um. not coming <laughs> home and sitting down and working on spec scripts. I wasn't doing the work. And finally, I got real with myself and I said, Devin, if you're not doing this now, how are you going to do it in five years and 10 years when you're competing against smarter, funnier, younger kids with huge social media followings and you're trying to get a job and come on. Yeah. So I thought about my 20s and how I'd done all these sorts of different things, but I'd always abandoned them after about a year or two. And I realized that I wanted a project that I could really grow with that I could say, all right, maybe the first five years are kind of whatever, but then year six, there's a really cool thing that happens, and then it quiets down, and then year eight, something else really cool happens, and then year 11, suddenly there's a bunch of attention, and I could just kind of enjoy that. So I declared 2014 to be my egg year, and I said, I'm going to just marinate on this and just think about it. I know that something's going to emerge, but I don't know what that is yet. And over the course of the year, uh, various other inspirations kind of piled on top of each other until I got to a point where I was like, I'm going to I'm going to become a wizard. That'll be that'll be what I'll do. It'll take a while for the world to get on board. But I think eventually the world will recognize that we we need wizards. They're a valuable part of the 21st century. And as the world starts to catch up to that idea, I'll be in a great position to, you know, lead the charge, yeah. as opposed to trying to go out and get training to do something that was already at its peak in that moment. And then by the yeah. time I'm like, hey, everyone, I'm ready. <laughs> Let me be a social media manager. They're right. like, oh, we've already moved on. Like the world's going so fast. Yeah. So I figured let them catch up to me. And did you start growing your beard at that point? So those of you who are listening can't see Devin, but there will be a picture of him on the uh, on the site. Uh, Devin has a very what I would can only describe as a wizardly beard. Right. So 2015, I decided to that was, you know, so actually let me, let me back up a little bit. At the end of 2014, I had decided that I was going to become a wizard. And I decided that the way to do that would be to do a magic ritual that if there's multiple realities, if I'm just in one version of my life that there's one to my left that's slightly worse and one to my right that's slightly better. So there's a reality where I have a kind of shittier job and I live in a worse house and my relationship is not going as well. And then there's one where things are actually working out better. And I figured if you kept going with that, eventually in an infinite number of realities, there had to be one where I was a wizard. Right. And if there's a reality where I'm a wizard, well, who better to hear my call? So I did a magic ritual where I reached out across the dimensional barrier and tried to get in contact with this more wizardly version of myself and said, pull me over so we can merge the deltas and our two timelines can come together. And I did that ritual. And then the next day, everything's normal. Nothing's, you know, nothing's changed. But 
You weren't fu- suddenly in flowing robes. I wasn't suddenly in flowing yet. robes. But the next month, I have a rare knee condition. And it swelled up. So my knee got to be the size of like a large grapefruit. And I couldn't leave the house for a month. And it was no good. And I had dealt with this before and knew that the next step was going to be surgery. Like pretty massive surgery that was going to leave me walking with a cane the rest of my life. And was not really looking forward to that. But I did some Googling and I found a doctor that had written a paper on this condition, which is, again, so rare that I was like, okay, let's talk to him. Scheduled an appointment. Finally, it took a month. Finally, I got to go in and see the doctor. And he says that he's not going to do surgery on my knee, that they're at this hospital currently testing a new medication, that they've had good results with my mm. condition, and that they can get me on this trial. But he has to tell me, this medication has an effect. And he doesn't say side effect because it happens to everyone who takes it. And that is, it's going to turn all of my hair white. Ah. And I started tap dancing in the (laughs) doctor's office. He was very shocked at how excited I was. But then over the course of 2015, it was one of those things where I was like, this is too good to be true. Like, there's no, like, something's going to happen where I can't get on the study. They're going to pull this away from me. But I just remained cautiously optimistic and was trying to be a wizard, but my version one of me being a wizard where I had brown hair and no beard is not good. It's very embarrassing. But that's how you start everything. You have to start with the most embarrassing, lame version of it. And so then I finally got put on this medication, and I wasn't sure if I was on the placebo or not for a while, but then finally one morning I woke up, I looked in the mirror, and my stubble was coming in white at the bottom. And from that point on, I sort of watched myself transform hmm. wow. to a new person um, up to including uh, getting a legal name change and sort of fully moving from that old identity into this new more wizardly one wow that is I mean that's a that's a, a an incredible sort of series of events yes um, to have all kind of happened at once so you, are you still on the medication still on the medication and seems to be working your knees look fine my knee is fine yeah I've had uh, I've had no incidents since I started it, and your hair. Yeah, I, I take my my wizard pills every day. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I I feel like there's a story in there. I don't know if the the drug is still in trials, but like if it got some kind of like name, you know, like well, right. Butrin or one of those other, you could it could be like, you know, wizard knee or I don't know. Oh, they're definitely they're <laughs> definitely people are interested in it because um, like I'm I'm much lighter in terms of skin tone too. So I think there's definitely people that are like, yeah, great, it helps with tumors. Um, how can we market this as a beauty product? Oh, so wow. I'm not sure exactly. It's still in trial. But, sure. Um, you know, it's, it's a funny thing, too, because that condition sucked. Yeah. Throughout my sure. 20s, I moved to cities and I would only have a bike for transportation. And then suddenly my knee would swell up and I couldn't bike anywhere. I couldn't work a job. And it would just throw my plans absolutely off track. And then there was a long period where I could kind of maintain, but I was constantly... At a, a concert, I would be like, all right, I got to go sit down. Or like, oh, we're walking across town. Yeah, I need to go home and ice my knee. Like, right. it's causing problems. But then from that struggle and from that pain emerged this thing that's transformed my life. So yeah. huh. I think uh, that's very wizardly in yeah. my mind. Of yeah. We don't know what the, the struggles and trials are actually going to bring us in the end.
This episode is presented by Bonbon, a neighborhood bistro in Lawrence, Kansas, bringing Midwest flavors to international cuisine. Bonbon is a place for friends and neighbors to come together and enjoy good food and good company. The heart of Bonbon is filled with love for the community of Lawrence, Kansas, for the staff and suppliers that put food on the tables, for quality local ingredients, and for fun, creative dishes. Learn more at bonbonlawrence.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Allison Kane, and I'm the host of In the Sauce here on HRN. Now that I'm expanding my cooking school to a sauce line in grocery stores, I need all the help I can get. And I want to help other entrepreneurs build their brands too. You can find In the Sauce wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. So we met, uh, you know, as I said before, via uh, interest in fermentation, which I've always thought is kind of like wizardry. One hundred percent, yes. Like you are, uh, <coughs> you know, we are we are coddling and helping along these things that we can't see. That only in the very very recent past have we come through science to understand are in fact, you know, organisms. Yeah. I mean, it really was like magic for a yeah. very long time. No, I think absolutely. I mean, you leave something sitting and then it transforms into something else. That something else often has powerful effects of whether it's the acid of vinegar or whatever alcoholism does to us. And so, yeah, I think it's a big leap to get to the the germ paradigm of of there's microscopic things and they're down there and they're crunching around and eating it. And I'm of the opinion that uh, a lot of the way that we talk about magic is kind of interacting with things that are perhaps bigger than us and ideas that, you know, we interact with the way that um, molecules might turn sugar into alcohol and we're turning, um, I don't know, calories into creative ideas. Yeah. I mean, I think that we, you know, we've come to this point though, where we, we feel like science and technology can sort of, can, can identify and solve everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like it, I, to me, it, it feels like we're headed to this point of like supreme logic, like everything has a reason that it happens. Right. But then sometimes you get reminded, I had a, I had a friend who passed away recently through a, you know, completely, uh, you know, kind of like shocking he had a stroke wow. sort of out of the blue very yeah. young healthy and never recovered and yeah. died and you know it's, it's moments like that where i feel like we need to remember that there are powers that are greater than ourselves and they aren't always good yes um and and so there's something i think to be said for you know 100 years ago if you were making sauerkraut it didn't really matter how yeah right it was that it was that you were making it because you wanted to have sauerkraut and you knew it preserved it and it was delicious mm. and you were making vinegar because well we can't drink all this wine and we need to preserve it and we can use it for these other things and it really didn't matter the the how it was the technique of doing it but the actual mechanics of it were not actually important and that's what i think i love so much about the wild fermentation movement is i have always been someone who gets intimidated by a recipe even you know a recipe that has a bunch of ingredients where i'm like where am i gonna find that do i need it <laughs> It's some weird spice, and I only need half a teaspoon, but, right. like, ugh. And there's just all of these complicated steps, and I get overwhelmed that I'm going to do it wrong, and it's not going to turn out right, and it's like, blah. And I think the wild fermentation movement has been so great about 
people did this in huts. Like, you can yeah. do this. Yep. Like, it's great if you want to brew a very specific beer and control all the environment and add your own yeast. That's fine. Go for it. But you can also let wine sit on the counter for long enough and it will turn into vinegar. Yep. And just in my own experimentation, I've watched myself go from following your recipes in the vinegar book and like nervously trying to make my first batch of pickles to being like, oh, I've got some charred stems left over. Guess I'll throw those in a jar and dump hot vinegar on them with some peppercorns and put them in the fridge and there we yeah. go. Yep. That'll be edible in a few days. Great. Yeah. Or it won't be and I'll, and I'll <laughs> learn something from it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think trusting in trusting in yourself too, right? I mean, I feel like that's a little bit of where you're headed with the wizard thing is your, it's guidance. Mm-hmm. But people still have to make their own decisions. Right? Yeah. Like if you are helping to someone to, in the modern age, cast a spell, it, you know, it's not turning their, you know, turning their enemy into a frog, yeah. literally. Right. But it's helping them overcome some barrier. Well, I think it's sort of fermenting themselves. Like, I've I've thought about this with the creative process, where if I go and I write down ideas in my notebook and I look at them right after, I'm like, ugh, these are the worst. Ugh, this is so clumsy. None of this prose is any good. I can't do anything with this. If I take that notebook and I just let it sit for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and then I come back to it and I look at it and go, wow, these ideas are pretty good. I've, I'm right on the money with this. I could totally use these pieces. And there's something that I think kind of changes and evolves with that process. So in my own creativity, I've tried to think about it more like fermentation of, all right, how do I shred the cabbage? How do I sit down and think about what have I been puzzling over in my head? What books have I been reading? What are the ideas? I'm going to jot a bunch of notes down and then I'll let it sit and then I'll come back to it later and I'll see what's transformed and what looks different, what's a little bit crunchier and more interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, in our lives, we can do that too, because we always want change to be so quick. But if you're thinking, what is the, um, you know, it's not a microscopic organism, what's a macroscopic organism? What is something abstract and invisible to the human experience, like love or fear or patience or kindness? And if you do some sort of ritual to marinate yourself in that, to really feel those feelings and to connect with that, and then you continue to do that on a regular basis for a series of months, you start at one point and you exit on another point and your life can be totally transformed in right. the in-between. Yeah. So how do people, like, how do people come into contact with you as a wizard? I mean, you are not a wizard, like, you have a day job, right? Yes, I mean, I mean, I assume you are a wizard all the time because that's who you are, but but you are not doing wizardly things. My day job is funny right. because um, in I work in tech and in software when you have a complex process that you need to go through, like installing a new program or setting something up, uh, you use what's called an installation wizard. Oh, that is, sure. That is yeah. the, the term. Right. And that's what I build at my day job. So I, oh, wow. <laughs> I, have, I have wizards on both sides. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. Um, that's another thing that kind of organically happened just when you... <laughs> You have that story, you have that structure, the, the characters and the details come out yeah. of the woodwork. Yeah. But um, my wizardry right now exists in a couple of ways. I have been doing a thing for the last year that I call subway wizarding, where I go out in my full robes and I sit on the subway and I have a fake MTA sign. So it's very similar to, for people in New York that ride the subway, there's these signs that say, don't man spread or don't eat gross weird food on the train or don't trim your nails. And I've re I had a designer rework one of those. So it has me as a wizard sitting there rather than the normal like men's room western right. signs. And then it says, Talk to the wizard. 
because no one meets a wizard by accident. And so I popped that over an ad because nobody asked me if I wanted to look at ads. So I figure it's okay for me to put up my own size. Oh, so it's the same size. It just slot slips like in. slots right, right in. Front I take of the it ads. over. Oh, that's amazing. And then I sit in front of it and I chat with people. And I wanted to be exposed to the most diverse stream of humans that probably exists on this planet, which is on the New York subway yeah. system. And I wanted it to be opt-in. There's a lot of people in the city that are going through their own thing. They've had a long day. They've got to go home to feed their kids and then go to their second job. Their hemorrhoids are killing them. They're having a bad time. And they don't need me to be like, Hello, everybody! It's magical wizard time! We're going to do something! (laughs) And so I, I assume that the people that want to talk to me will be curious and they'll come over. And the people that want to ignore me will do exactly that. And uh, see what happens. And it's been a lot of fun to sort of just encounter people. And um, i that's how I met um, Matt yep. from Covert Cocktail Club. Yep. Uh, he was very excited to get on a trip. I imagine, yes, he was and probably the most excited. Then he was the one that introduced you to me. Yeah. So I've been trying to just sort of enjoy... Um, it's like the, the subway is a random stream, and I'm filtering based on this one thing of, are you going to talk to a wizard? Right. And I'm hopefully affecting the people that talk to me in some way or another. Oh. I've gotten some good feedback where people email me, and I'll offer to grant them a wish a lot of the time. And I've gotten people that write back, and they're like, holy cow, I totally got that job like a week later. And, <laughs> you know, That's a person that's got a wizard story for the rest of their life. Yeah. And then it's also introduced me to other people that have changed my life. So Right. That's that's great, uh, and and you also I mean are you a are you a wizard for hire? I'm a wizard for hire. Yeah, um, I do a little bit of one on one consulting with people. So if someone's at a crossroad in their life and is not sure where to go next or how to deal with a particular issue, I'll sit down with them. We'll map it out, and I will either give them some sort of little ritual task, or we'll do some hypnosis or something to sort of create that shift. Um, but I don't see people on a recurring basis. It's different than therapy because. Right. I'm not going to do the work for you. I'm going to give you this moment that you get to choose how you grow that and how it um, flourishes in your life. Uh, And then I, similar to what we were talking about earlier, um, I officiate things. I'm a wedding officiant. I uh, emcee parties and shows. I lead rituals and ceremonies. I do guided meditations. There's a lot of things where music is a good example. I think we've lost what it means to be at a show. Yeah, I think people used to go to a show and they were like, "Cool, I'm gonna like get di- I'm gonna get drunk, I'm gonna dance, I'm gonna like yeah. be active." Yeah. And now we're so used to passively consuming media, people stand there and they watch. I've seen people just stand arms crossed and watch a dance band play, and then they're like, "Yeah, it was whatever." I'm like, "You're <laughs> you're a part of this. You're right? a part of this. Yeah, you need to be an active participant. If you aren't you moving and shaking, then." It's less fun for everybody. It's really hard to dance in a room where nobody else is dancing. Yeah. That makes it more difficult for anyone else who wants to opt in to opt in. Makes it harder for the band to get into a groove. It changes the whole environment. And so when I get to do wizardry at shows like that, I can get people to stand up and move around and just break that that hesitancy just a little bit. Just by doing something very small. And then it's so fun to watch over the night that they then have permission to be a little bit sillier. They're never going to be as silly as the guy in the wizard costume. And then they can get into it. And then the bands always come up to me afterwards and they're like, oh my God, that was so fun. That totally changed our dynamic with the crowd. Yeah. 
You grew up with siblings, right? I am the oldest oldest son. I of, was going to ask if you were the the oldest or where you fell. In I'm the, the oldest son of. I have four brothers. So you're the oldest of five. I'm the oldest of five. And do any have any of them? <coughs> do any of them have wizardly properties as well? Like, do you think there's a genetic thing there? I would. Um, I think that there's things that we all share in common, and we have similar interests. And uh, one of my brothers has actually gotten really into fermentation, which has been fun. That we can, you know, um, send each other home with kraut and pickles and nice. things like that. Um, but I think we've all blossomed in different ways, and so um, my youngest brother, I'm curious to see exactly where he goes, but uh, no one is quite on the nose with the wizardry as I am. Although, I think they definitely have their own bits of it. Have you met other wizards? Um, I have. I am actually going next weekend to go visit uh, a wizard named Oberon Zell Ravenhurst. Or Ravenhurst Zell? I forget exactly what it is. Uh, But he has been a wizard since the 60s, um, founded the Church of All Worlds, which mm. is based on a Robert Heinlein yeah. thing, but then they made it into a pagan organization. Was a big, you know, voice in the burgeoning pagan community. At one point, he figured out how to make unicorns from goats. He could transplant oh, the horn right. into the center, and then it grows straight. Yeah. And so, toured Renaissance fairs with homemade unicorns, and now runs an online wizard school. So, I'm very excited to go meet face-to-face with him. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's a bunch of wizards in New Zealand that I'm in contact with, and New York actually has two wizards that I haven't gotten to meet. One was a guy that would wander around Central Park and um, I think was a little bit more in character. He kind of had like a fake British accent. And then there's a wizard named Zardulu who has orchestrated these like viral hoaxes. So, hmm. you, know, you remember Pizza Rat? Oh, Yeah. There's suspicion that Pizza Rat was Zardulu. Huh. I think Pizza Rat was real, but Zardulu has done these other ones that are similar. Like, you know, seeing how easy it is to get some local news channel to run your or a weird yeah. your viral video story. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty easy. It turns out. I, yeah, I imagine that it is. <coughs> um, I want to talk just for a, a second. We're we're uh, we're running out of time, but I want to talk for just a second about um, sort of spells. I mean, people can you know you you have an email list. People can mm-hmm. go to your website, which is personisawake.com. Personisawake.com, and, and they can, can follow you on social media at personisawake. Yeah, I'm personisawake on Instagram. I, I think I'm Devin Person on Facebook. I don't know. I've, I have conflicting feelings about social media. I'm yeah. always kind of forcing myself to do the bare minimum, and then even regretting that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really tough. I find that in the best of times it's a like great way to interact with people who you are separated from yes. uh, geographically. Um, and in the worst way, it, it is something that feels like uh, you know, I, it feels like something hanging over your head that you need to do. Yes. Right? It, feel, it feels like a, a task that is really unnecessary, but mm. that is forced upon you. Yeah. That's, that's my relationship with social media, for sure. Yeah. But I want to, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you in your, in a recent email, because I'm on your email list, you had what you called a spell, mm-hmm. um, and you you alluded, I think, to this a little bit earlier, where you told people to write things down and put them in a jar. Oh yeah, yeah. Leave, I said, leave I, them for a month and then yeah. come back to them. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, are the are the spells like that? Which and you can explain that one more specifically. I, I, um, but 
are they things that you are creating, or are totally. you finding those ideas in other places? I mean, I'm drawing, you know, I think that ideas are the synthesis of other ideas. Yep. They're always spawning and mutating. Um, again, that's something that I, I, I only found out recently, but at the bacterial, microbial, unicellular organism, um, organism level, sex has nothing to do with reproduction. Right. Sex is the phenomenon of exchanging information. And so, you know, one piece of bacteria can figure out how to fight off antibiotics, and that information can spread through the whole colony, not by just, you know, mommy and daddy passing it on to right. the children, but it can just spread. And yeah. I think humans are similar with ideas, where I don't have to make a kid with you to say something that sticks with you and then becomes a part of your information world and, and transforms yeah. it. So I think... I am always trying to figure out how do we make the stuff that's at the heart of magic accessible. And um, the same way that with cooking, it, it can be really cool to be like, I found a recipe from the 1800s and I'm going to figure out how to do this the exact way and I'm going to do it over a wood stove and, you know, make it the traditional way. But that is more of a hobby and more of like a, you're making it complicated for the joy of making it complicated. Sure. You could take that same recipe and say, okay, here's a simplified version that anyone can do at home in 30 minutes with right. four basic ingredients. Right. And that's what I'm trying to do, I think, is, yeah. is not so much be the chemist who goes and says, oh, here's actually how we've discovered that you know, the, the vinegar process works. Because I think sometimes you, uh, you know, what is the old saying about if you dissect a, a joke, it's like dissecting a frog. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't hop yeah. around anymore. Right, right. And so I'm not trying to say oh, here are the neural pathways or here's quantum mechanics that explains how magic works. Somebody else can worry about that. I don't care about that. I'm just trying to figure out what are the simple versions of what we can do that works and how can we do something silly that can change our lives a little bit. I mean, I think the recipes can be maybe similar in a way to the idea of, of spreading these sorts of spells because even though I think... Sometimes we want to exist in this idea that, okay, if everybody, if, if 10 people use the same recipe out of a cookbook and people say it's great and they review it online, that that those people are making the exact same thing. Right. But they're really not. Yeah. Right? I mean, the fact is that people's kitchens are different. People work differently. There's different microbes yeah. in, in different places. The eggs are going to be different. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at a pickled egg recipe, like, some people are going to use eggs that came directly off the farm. Some people are going to use eggs that came not directly off the farm. Some people's eggs are going to be really fresh. Some people's eggs are going to be really old. Like there's all these variables. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're doing beets, like we live in a society where, okay, a beet is a thing, but there are hundreds of varieties of beets and that right. recipe can be used with any of them. And we are just calling that a beet. And so I think that they are these sort of guidelines, sort of like the spells. Well, and exactly. And I think it's, you know, you can go on Amazon and see a collection of five star and one star reviews of something where People are like, this worked so well, it did exactly what I wanted it to, and someone else is like, this didn't work at all. And I think with magic, there's an often attitude of, oh, if we hear from that one person where it didn't work, throw it out. It's garbage. Like, get rid of it. Instead of, oh, I, I assume if you have a recipe in your book for pickled eggs, and if I do it, and they turn out terrible... I should try again. Maybe, you know, I did something wrong with it. Maybe my kitchen was way more humid than you were expecting. Who knows? But if my goal is to have delicious pickled eggs, keep experimenting and keep trying. And so if my goal is to meet a romantic partner, then there's a lot of variables at play there. And 
I don't think of love spells as like picking one specific person and being like that person is going to fall in love with. Because then that's not like, like a Shakespeare play. Yeah, like <laughs> that has very weird connotations for free will. <laughs> but if you think, okay, I'm going to think about what are the attributes that I'm looking for, what is the reality that I would like to be in, and what is a symbolic representation of that that I can do now, and put myself in that direction, and then follow through. You know, yeah. like say I'm going to do this magic ritual, and then I'm also going to try and talk to at least one person every time I go out. Right. You know, if you do that for a while and you tweak as needed, I think your chances go up exponentially of meeting more people, of finding those values that you've already articulated for yourself, and then creating a connection that can then transform your life. Yeah. Well, since we are coming to the end here, I want to make sure to mention that you have a podcast. I do. Called This Podcast is a Ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to be a guest on that You're podcast. You're about to be a guest so right now. Everybody can check out, uh, we'll cross reference these two podcasts. But I'm wondering if you have a spell of any sort that you would like to leave Feast Your Ears listeners with. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I, I'll recommend a spell that I think is kind of the overlap between both of our worlds. And so making something like a vinegar or a kraut, or pickling something, or doing something like that. And before you begin that process, thinking about what is something that you would like to change in your life a little bit. If you could imagine that there are big clouds of macroscopic entities that represent being more patient, or having a little bit more fun, or not feeling so stressed out, to sit down and think of which of those values that you would like, and then write out that, you know, be less stressed or feel more optimistic or, um, you know, love the people in my life or whatever it is. And you can draw a little shape or you can just write it on pieces of tape, but put that to the bottom of the jar Hmm. and then do your fermentation thing. So then do the actual labor of your chopping up the cabbage and all of that. And when you get done, just make it feel magical to you. So light a little candle and just think about what it will look like For as this cabbage becomes sauerkraut, for you in your life, you will also transform along similar lines. And just tie those two ideas together. And then just notice what happens. Notice the moments where you're seeing things change in your life. Notice the little moments. You can write them down on a journal, or you can just, you know, think about them before bed each night, however you want to do it. But then when you're ready to check in on your vinegar or your sauerkraut or your kombucha or whatever it is you've made, take that time to taste the thing that you've made and reflect on how you've transformed at the same time. You're just tying these two processes together. You're tying something abstract to something material, and that's the heart of magic. And it'll be delicious. And it'll be delicious. All right. Thanks, Devin, so much for joining me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, Harry. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. I'm Harry Rosenblum. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show, and please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Bye.